Hey everyone, in today's episode we're going to be continuing with my exploration of the contents of my recent publication, Psychology, Science of the Soul. And specifically in today's episode we're going to be looking at the links between depth psychology and astrology. And this is going to be covering material that's in the third chapter of this publication. And this will be a two-parter. So in the first one I'm going to go over the fundamentals of how depth psychology and astrology are related, basically how it works. And then in the second part, I'm going to do a case study in which I look at the Pluto-Saturn alignment of 2020 and look at the themes involved with that and how they are playing out in the world today, which is a very, very important and very interesting topic to cover. And I think one that you guys will really enjoy hearing about because it is amazing how accurate the archetypal themes associated with Pluto-Saturn, how accurate they are in terms of how we see those themes manifested and what we're seeing globally happen in the world today. So let me recap some of the basic ideas of depth psychology just so we're starting on a, on a shared ground of understanding here. So in depth psychology, which is grounded in the work of Carl Jung and is followed up by, I guess, a school of analysts who are influenced by him. But basically, it's approach to psychology that understands that there is a transpersonal realm of human psychology that underpins the individual psyche of each person. So... Human psychology exists on an individual level, but also in this transpersonal collective level. And that's the key feature and the key unique attribute that makes depth psychology so important and makes it different than the normal schools of psychology that were typically taught in school. And even though Carl Jung is one of the most prominent scientists of the 20th century, and he has at least... A lot of name recognition in terms of people understand something about who he is and, and even though certain concepts of his are in the zeitgeist or in the popular consciousness his main ideas about the idea that there is a collective realm of human psychology is not something that has been emphasized and it's not an idea that has taken root in popular culture but it is a truly transformative idea and it changes the way we understand not only human psychology, but also sociology, how and why social structures manifest in the way they do. Uh, it affects our understanding of history and um, and basically any dynamics that have to do with human beings, either on the individual level or the collective level. Um, this idea that there is a depth dimension that is transpersonal and collective in nature is an idea that is so breakthrough that it'll change the whole worldview of every scientific discipline that has to do with the study of human beings and and in nature and then when you further add on the fact that at the apex of the collective realm of the psyche there is a there are archetypes that interface with the figures of world mythology that becomes another breakthrough concept in terms of transforming the way that we understand ancient civilization and its relationship to modern day life 
it transforms the way we understand how how inadequate the secular scientific mindset is in terms of providing a myth that has meaning and value to people in terms of guiding their life and inspiring their life pattern to be one that's idealistic and that is 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 based on the fulfillment of of our own potentials both individually and collectively and then furthermore when we factor in the idea that there is a self as the apex archetype of the transpersonal collective unconscious and that this self is the universal being that all individual beings all individual humans are connected to this one universal self that is another breakthrough idea that completely transforms the way we understand the nature of reality and each person's relationship to us, an inner spiritual truth. So it's transformative to religion, it's transformative to science, it's transformative to everything. So the ideas of depth psychology are truly profound. They interface in a harmonious way with the ancient wisdom teachings of esoteric philosophy. And it could not be more important in this moment in time some of these ideas to now be seeded out into the culture and to be embraced. And so that's what I'm hoping to do with these series of videos and with this publication. So the basic ideas that we're going to be working with today is the idea that there is a collective unconscious and that within the collective unconscious are psychological forces called archetypes. And all individual humans share one set of archetypes in common. It's, it's, a, it's a common heritage of the species as a whole. And it's this idea that, that each individual mind is embedded within a universal mind. And the archetypes are properties of this universal mind. They're like the thought patterns of the universal mind. And they have their own autonomous dynamics. Uh, and the dynamics that they demonstrate are ones that move according to a certain law. And so the law of these archetypes drives the underlying dynamics of the evolution of human society and the trajectory of human growth over long periods of time. Now, Joseph Campbell makes the, the point, and, and Jung makes this point as well, that the archetypes have traditionally been represented in ancient society by the different characters and stories and themes captured within mythology. And the different great cult cultures of the world from Egypt to India to China uh, to the Native Americans and in Europe as well, the great myths are associated with externalizing the existence of these archetypal principles and the stories in a way talk about how these principles interact with each other and by identifying with the myth i mean with it by the individual identifying with the character in a mythological story in some way they're being guided through how to constructively engage with these psychological elements that are within themselves. So myth has a sort of psychotherapeutic function to it. And so that's one of the elements that we dove into in the, uh, in the video, Modern Man in Search of a Myth, which I did about a week or two ago. And Stanislav Grof 
whose research was oriented on analyzing the mystical experience and the non-ordinary states of consciousness that can arise from the use of what he calls spiritual technologies, which are like shamanistic techniques and or through psychedelic drugs, that these non-ordinary states of consciousness or his studies of non-ordinary states of consciousness uh, give evidence to the fact that there are these archetypal elements within us and that we encounter them and experience them on a level of, of mythology that they take on in their appearance to us. And as we engage with them, they can take on motifs that are derived from various mythologies of the world. So they, they appear as gods or other kinds of transcendent beings or deities. These experiences of encounters with archetypes can also take on the form of certain experiential templates that are archetypal. And this is what kind of what I want to focus on today is this experiential template that has to do with the death rebirth experience. This is now setting up where I begin this third chapter and so I'm going to pick up uh, and read the first little bit of this chapter here. The chapter is actually called The Astrology of Spiritual Rebirth. And this theme of spiritual rebirth is, is the focus of a lot of what we're going to be talking about. But where this is going as I proceed is that there's a link that he discovered between certain experiences, a certain template of experiences that have to do with the death-rebirth sequence and astrology. And in particular the motions of certain planets in different people's horoscopes uh, as they were having these experiences. So there's a correlation between planetary motions and certain archetypal experiences. And what basically he did was find a scientific way to justify the idea that the planets in astrology are representations of the various archetypes that populate the unconscious. So now I'm going to begin going through some of the material that's contained in this chapter. So I begin things by describing one of Stan Groff's big breakthroughs in his research on non-ordinary states of consciousness. And this breakthrough has to do with the experience of death and rebirth that he consistently found across many of the patients that he studied. So what he did was he charted the various stages of this death and rebirth sequence and was able to highlight four key stages that people tended to go through. And these four key stages shared similar themes and qualities across numerous independent people who experienced them. And so this is what this first section is about, is describing the nature of this, this death-rebirth sequence, and he calls it the perinatal sequence. So I begin by writing, In his clinical research, working with thousands of patients undergoing encounters with the archetypal realm of the unconscious, Groff discovered a deep-rooted pattern with profound spiritual and therapeutic significance. He discovered that patients from a wide variety of backgrounds reported undergoing a common sequence of core archetypal experiences themed around reliving the trials and tribulations of their own birth process. Now, I want to modify this a little bit, is that the, what they experience is not, it's associated with their own birth process, but it has more of an archetypal universal quality to it. So now uh, I quote, 
Richard Tarnas, who was a colleague of Stan Groff's and who does a really good job commenting and introducing Groff's work in his book, Passion of the Western Mind and also Cosmos and Psyche. So Tarnas writes, quote, Groff found that subjects involved in these sessions, which are exploring the unconscious, uh, tended to undergo progressively deeper explorations of the unconscious, in the course of which there consistently emerged a pivotal sequence of experiences called the perinatal sequence uh, of great complexity and intensity. These experiences occurred, occurred in a highly variable order and they overlapped with each other in very complex ways. So what this means is that different people experience different stages of the birth process at different moments in time. And, but charting out thousands of experiences, he was able to, Groff was able to pinpoint that there is, across many different people, revealed a core four-stage sequence that has to go from, that, that has to do with the, with the birth process. Then I'm going to pick back up with Tarnas. He writes, in the initial session, subjects typically moved back through earlier and earlier biographical experiences and traumas such as the Oedipus complex, toilet training, nursing, early infantile experiences. But after reliving and integrating these various memory complexes, subjects regularly tended to move further back into an extremely intense engagement with the process of biological birth. Although this process was experienced on a biological level in the most explicit and detailed manner, it was informed by or saturated by a distinct archetypal sequence of considerable numinous power. Subjects reported that experiences at this level possessed an intensity and universality that far surpassed what they previously believed was the experiential limit for an individual human being. And so here in this next section, uh, I again quote Tarnas, and he overviews the, the key themes of what is encountered during this perinatal sequence of reliving the birth process. He notes that, First, there is an initial condition of undifferentiated unity with the maternal principle, experienced simultaneously as one's personal mother as well as the archetypal cosmic mother that all souls are connected to and born from. Then, an experience of a sudden fall and separation from the primordial unity is experienced. This takes place as a powerful dialectic moving in upon the individual bringing them into a problematic state of constriction, conflict, and contradiction with an accompanying sense of separation, duality, and alienation. And finally, an unexpected redemptive liberation takes place, which both overcomes and fulfills the intervening alienated state, restoring the initial unity on a new level that preserves the achievement of the whole trajectory. So these psychological eng engagements with this perinatal sequence denote an archetypal quality to them. So it's not just about, like I was saying, it's not just about your birth experience. It's about this experience of a universal death and rebirth, and that's colored by your own personal experience. And this is what Tarnas writes uh, in this quote. He says, Observers often describe their experience of this archetypal sequence as occurring simultaneously on both an individual and collective level, so that the movement from primordial unity through alienation to liberation and resolution was experienced and internalized not only as a personal journey, but also as a collective one. And then in Groff's description of this now, 
He says, experiential confrontation with birth and death seems to result automatically in a spiritual opening and discovery of the mystical dimensions of the psyche and of existence. It is as if by connecting with the experience of the fetus struggling to be born, one, one reaches an intimate, almost mystical connection with the consciousness of the human species as a whole. He then continues, The perinatal domain is an important interface between the biological and transpersonal levels of the psyche. It represents a gateway to the historical and archetypal aspects of the collective unconscious in the Jungian sense. So he, he then talks a little bit more about this perinatal sequence, and he knows that there's an interesting aspect to this, in that the qualities of this death-rebirth experience, for some patients, take the form as like a psychedelic encounter with the unconscious, but for other patients, they actually, these themes will actually occur in real life, in terms of something that they're going through in, in, that, in their relationship with the outer world. So it can come in an inner form or outer form. Uh, but the, the idea is with the outer form is that it triggers a similar type of re experiential realization. But you act it out in an objective way rather than experience it purely in a subjective symbolic form. And this has to do with the nature of archetypes. So the archetypes are something transcendent. They exist within a transcendent realm of reality and they act simultaneously upon the subjective and the objective level and in some cases it can be they can act primarily on the subjective or they can act primarily on the objective world so they're acting on on all domains of creation at once the subjective or objective and so on this uh, on this theme uh stan groff writes it does not seem to make a difference whether perinatal encounters take on symbolic form as in psychedelic and holotropic sessions, and in the course of spontaneous psycho-spiritual crises, or whether they occur in actual life situations, for example, in uh, delivering women during the birth process, or in the context of a near-death experience. The specific symbolism of these experiences comes from the collective unconscious, and so he's kind of referring to the fact that the archetypes will, can impress themselves upon all aspects of, of creation, subjective or objective. And so the main idea here, and this is in my words, my summary, the main idea here is that the death-rebirth ritual is something we are archetypally called toward at certain moments of life. And again, we're going to be connecting this to the planets, to the motion of certain planets in your horoscope in, in the coming section. Um, but at certain moments, you're called towards these. And the idea is that those certain moments will be co correlated with certain astrological positions of planets in relationship to each other. If we make room for these experiences within our psychology, we can constructively engage with the archetypal themes that confront us. But if for whatever reason we have blocked out our capacity to internally respond and learn from their influence, the, the influence of these archetypes, and are instead focused entirely on the outer surface of things, then these archetypal forces must act upon us from the outside in meaning they will confront us as concrete events whose impact will force the individual to psychologically respond to their underlying themes. So the idea is that the archetypes are going to have their way no matter what. And if we make, a, make room for, a, for their influence by being thoughtful and having a relationship with, it, relationship with our own internal life, then we can take the lessons that they have to offer us and we can consider them on the more subjective plane 
and they can come to us in the dreams or as consciousness. But if we are completely shut off from our own internal life, then they'll have no choice but to operate upon us from the outside in, in which case we're going to be put in a, a near-death life experience, for example. So the near-death, the kind of uh, confrontation with death can either happen objectively as an actual encounter with a near-death experience, or you could perhaps experience it in its uh, symbolic form through a dream or a psychedelic experience or some other holotropic or non-ordinary state of mind experience. But now uh, before before moving on to specifically the astrology, the astrological links between the perinatal sequence uh, and and the planets, I want to go over what the four stages are. So the initial one is the primary union with the mother, which means that it's related in objective terms to the fetus's intrauterine existence before the onset of delivery, where the fetus does not have an awareness of boundaries and does not differentiate between the inner and the outer. And the experiential qualities associated with this state is that you... uh, you have the experience of being in a vast region with no boundaries or limits. So that's the uh, initial stage of the four. And the second stage is actually the first stage of biological birth. So it's the first uh, stage of moving out of this comfortable state of being identified with the mother. So in the first stage of biological birth, the uterus contracts, and in, in so doing it periodically constricts the fetus. But the cervix is not yet open. And in subjective terms, Groff writes that reliving this stage of birth is one of the worst experiences we can have during holotropic states. We feel caught in a monstrous claustrophobic nightmare, exposed to agonizing emotional and physical pain, and have a sense of utter helplessness and hopelessness. Feelings of loneliness, the absurdity of life, and existential despair reach metaphysical proportions. A prominent mythic theme is one of descending into the depths of the underworld. And the second stage of delivery, which is the third stage of this perinatal sequence, but the second stage of the actual birth process, there is a propulsion through the birth canal after the cervix opens and the head descends into the pelvis. Uterine contractions continue, involving crushing mechanical pressures, pains, and often feelings of suffocation. This uncomfortable and often life-threatening situation usually comes with an experience of intense anxiety. This stage involves an extremely rich and complex experience pattern of titanic proportions and can reach archetypal dimensions and portray battles of gigantic proportions, such as the cosmic battle between the forces of light and darkness. So in the final stage, which is the fourth of the perinatal sequence, but the third of the birth process, is related to the final explosion from the birth canal and the severing of the umbilical cord. Its experience is one of completing the difficult process of birth, achieving explosive liberation, and emerging into light. The overall theme is one of psycho-spiritual rebirth and an ego death to who we were before we underwent this process. We clear old programs by letting them emerge into consciousness. This can at first feel like the end of our existence or of the world and is thus associated with fear and anxiety of the unknown. But in the end, this is a very healing and transforming stage, if we can assimilate it properly. 
So those are the four stages. And again, different people experience the one of these four stages at different moments. And it was only by following the methods of science, by taking data points through many different patients' experiences and and plotting them and cross-comparing them, was he able to discover how the sequence plays out in a transpersonal way, that different individuals experience part of this, but you can see the whole thing emerge through the accounts of many different people. So here's where the astrological links come in. Uh, So this is what I write. Many years after first outlining the core dynamics of the perinatal sequence, Stan Groff, in collaboration with Richard Tarnas, came to a breakthrough realization, one that is sure to have a profound impact on the future of psychological research, particularly as it pertains to how we understand the relationship between psychological archetypes and the study of planetary influence found in ancient astrology. The main feature of Gross' breakthrough involved the discovery that the four main stages of the perinatal sequence have exact corollaries with the astrological motions of the four outermost planets of our solar system. When these planets form certain patterns of alignment in relation to each other, within the horoscope of a person, group, or in the world as a whole, certain archetypal themes associated with the death-rebirth process are proportionally released. The specific planets involved in an alignment will determine what qualities of experience will be archetypally brought forth at that moment. So, for example, Groff tells us that individuals, and this is from one of his papers, Individuals who experienced major psychological breakthroughs and awakenings tended at those times to be undergoing major personal transits involving the planet Uranus, often in combination with Jupiter, while those undergoing more difficult and psychologically constricting periods tended to be undergoing transits involving Saturn. Notably, Saturn is associated with the second stage of the perinatal sequence, contraction, while Uranus is associated with the fourth liberation. So basically what Groff did is he added another layer into his analysis of these patients' experiences. So he had all these reports and he had dates of when these clinical sessions happened that these reports were generated out of from the patients undergoing non-ordinary states of consciousness. And so he initially had all these reports and he figured out the four stages of the perinatal sequence. Then later on he went back and along with Richard Tarnas, did uh, horoscopes for these different patients. And what he noticed was that, that there were certain themes that correlated between the two, such that at certain moments in, this, uh, in, the, in someone's transit horoscope uh, or someone's progressed horoscope, when certain alignments were happening between natal planets and transit planets, that the themes of what they experienced in their session aligned with what you would expect them to experience given the archetypes of the planets involved. So he was saying that if the nature of the person's experience was one of breakthrough and awakening, what they found was a correlation between those experiences and the fact that in their personal chart, they were having an alignment between Uranus and Jupiter that in some form of alignment, that the archetypal qualities of those two planets were being activated at the moment of the person's experience. So there's a synchronicity between the two. And then conversely, if someone was having a very difficult experience in their session that had to do with contradiction and contraction, that they would be having an alignment that 
was based around Saturn or was themed with Saturn so that there was an archetypal quality of Saturn coming through and coloring and influencing the nature of what they were experiencing. So in a way, he was able to confirm using this method of psychological research of, of, of taking notes and, and detailing the experiences of patients and then cross-comparing them. He used that data set when it, to compare with astrology and to basically prove the, uh, the correlation between astrological motions, uh, at least as far as planetary transits go, and the experience of consciousness that people have at the moment in time when they're having those transits. Using the methods of science, this is a way of confirming some of the tenets of classical astrology. And then Groff writes, over the years, we have now been able to confirm the fact of these correlations by thousands of specific observations. And he says, because of these surprisingly consistent correlations, I have come to regard astrology, particularly transit astrology, as the long sought after Rosetta Stone of consciousness research. Now, I want to go over what the planetary corollaries are between these four stages of the death-rebirth experience, the perinatal sequence, and these four outer planets. So that first stage of, the, of this sequence, which has to do with the fetus being comfortably in the womb of the mother, uh, correlates with the archetype of Neptune. So these planetary archetypes have a positive and negative, I guess, polarity to them. And, and whether it expresses positively or negatively will depend upon your own uh, polarity in relation to this planetary archetype. So in, in this positive side, Neptune involves experiences of dissolution of boundaries, interpersonal fusion experiences, oceanic ecstasy, cosmic feelings of unity, transcendence of time and space, and awareness of the mystical and numinous dimensions of reality. But in its negative polarity, it can involve confusion, delusion, bizarre metaphysical distortions, and paranoid perceptions of reality. And there is also a connection with drug addiction and intoxication with this Neptune principle. And it's interesting to note that in his work with the perinatal sequence, he also notes that this the, these negative uh, aspects of the Neptune archetype correlate with the, the quote bad womb the experience of a bad womb uh, in which you have the sense of a dark and ominous threat and you feel that you're being poisoned due to toxic changes in the body of the pregnant mother so again the idea is that these the the transit of neptune in your chart if it forms certain alignments with these other out, outer planets especially but it could be with any planet but it will it colors that archetype will then color come in and color and influence what you're experiencing. And this is particularly strongly felt during these non-ordinary states of, of experience. So now let's move on to the first stage of the birth process, which has to do with the, the theme of the descent into the underworld. But it has to do with the uterine contractions and in which the, um, the cervix is not open. So you're experiencing contraction with, with a feeling of no way out. So this, he equates with the archetype of Saturn. So if we look at what the themes of Saturn represent, Saturn is the planet of harsh realities and trials. It is associated with a preoccupation with aging and death, difficult ordeals and hard labor, depression, oppression, constriction, 
deficit, scarcity, and starvation. It can also bring feelings of inadequacy, inferiority, loneliness, and guilt. It is associated with skepticism and a profoundly pessimistic view of existence. A shattering crisis of meaning, the inability to enjoy anything, and a loss of any connection with the divine dimension of reality. Um, Then the third stage of the sequence and the second stage of the birth process which has to do with this struggle of, to be, of being born uh, in which there's a propulsion through the birth canal after the cervix opens and the head descends into the pelvis, but there's still uterine contractions involving crushing mechanical pressures and often feelings of suffocation. This he is equated with the planetary motions of Pluto. And in astrology, Pluto is associated with numerous themes having to do with the unconscious. And in his paper, which is actually a site on here, it's called Holotropic Research and Archetypal Astrology, if you want to look up the paper. That's where a lot of these quotes from this particular area of Stan Gross research comes from. But Pluto is associated with numerous themes having to do with the unconscious. So Groff writes that the archetype of primordial energy, uh, the dynamic principle behind cosmic creation, the universal life force that propels evolution in nature and in human society is associated with Pluto. It is pr- prominently associated with the transformative process of psycho-spiritual death and rebirth. And then other themes which are very much aligned with the stage of the birth process of that Pluto is correlated with. Uh, these themes include the un- unrelenting thrust of an elemental driving force. The unleashing of titanic energies, Dionysian agony and ecstasy, sex elimination, volcanic eruptions, purifying fire, and the underworld. And then the fourth stage, which is the stage of actually being born, that liberation, is associated with Uranus. And so Uranus is associated with... with, uh, the final stage of delivery where discomfort and pressures culminate and are resolved in an explosive liberation. So Uranus is characterized by breaking through and transcending boundaries, brilliantly illuminating insights, Promethean liberation and epiphany, sudden rising to a new level of awareness and consciousness, and radical freedom from previous constrictions. It is also associated with sudden change, surprise rebellion, revolution, liberation, spiritual awakening, collapsing structures, and emotional and intellectual breakthrough. So there's, that's the correlation that he found. These four outer planets and these stages of the death-rebirth process. Now I want to take a, take a moment to give a couple quotes from Manley Hall that have to do with the nature of the, the, the outer planets. What's different about the outer planets from the inner planets? So this is from Manley Hall. He writes, The old stargazers divided planetary motion into two classifications. In their astrological science, they distinguished between major and minor planets. For them, the major planets were those whose motion appeared to be slow, ponderous, and heavy. They referred particularly to Jupiter and Saturn, but after the discovery of Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, these have also been included in the major grouping. The minor planets make their circumambulations around the sun in a much shorter time. Here is included Mercury, Venus, Mars, and the two luminaries, the sun and moon. The outer planets move in terms of generations. 
producing lasting psychological effects. These long cycles are reflected in wars, depressions, and the rise and fall of nations. The inner planets move in terms of days or months and represent inconstant or transitory situations. These short cycles have more immediate and impermanent influence and are obvious in the moods of persons, deviations in climate, sudden crises in personal or collective affairs, etc. Both cycles affect the individual, not only externally but internally. And this has to do with the fact that the idea that these planets are associated with archetypes and that archetypes impress their influence through either the subjective life or the objective life or the inner and the outer world. And they, they impress their effects on the outer world through synchronicities. The fact that things seem, will seem to align in a certain pattern. And this is something that I experience all the time. And I sort of keep uh, a little bit of an eye on my, my own horoscope and particularly on these outer planets. And I try to understand the themes that are playing out in my life. And what's interesting is that during the period when I was putting this together, I actually had an alignment of a square alignment, which is a, a, harsh, a harsh angle or a harsh relationship, meaning that the energy, archetypal energies of the two planets are going to come through in a way that is um, in somewhat in conflict with each other. But it was Pluto and Saturn. So I had a Pluto-Saturn square in my personal chart. And actually, Pluto and Saturn is something that we're going to be looking at coming up. Uh, in part B of this episode, we're going to be looking at the world horoscope. Because there's there's not only the individual horoscope, but then there's the, the for each person, that has to do with their own their transit chart. But at any given moment, there's also a, a world horoscope that you can also do a chart for. And... In the world hor horoscope in 2020, there was a conjunction between Pluto and Saturn. And so we're going to be exploring that more, the, the collective effect of that uh, planetary alignment. And the basic idea is that in the world horoscope, energies are released according to the dynamics of these planetary motions. And then people will absorb those energies and be affected by them in a way that is in relationship to their own individual transit chart. And I really experienced a very strong synchronistic uh, patterning in my objective external life because during this period I, I wasn't focused on any on exploring my own uh, experiences of non-ordinary consciousness. All my psychedelic experiences and stuff have been in the past and I haven't been doing any intense yoga or meditation because I've been just focused on being productive and working and trying to get this channel going and uh, and get these publications going. And so because of that, the effect of these of this transit in my personal chart was taking uh, effect as a number of synchronicities in my outer life. And with and and in that way was drawing me towards the experience having the experience of the characteristics of this Pluto Saturn archetype in my internal life so my outer situation was very much aligning in a, such a way that I was going to be experiencing many of these qualities that have to do with the Pluto and Saturn themes and it what was interesting and I'm not sure why exactly it happened this way 
But that square lasted in my chart for like six months or more. And it was it was with it was under one degree. I mean, it was almost exact for for probably four months. And probably at this point it's probably still an orb, but it's moving out now. But the uh, but the intensity of it is is of the intensity of alignment is uh, having to do with how much in, in, in an exact position the two planets are in. So I was almost at so the alignment between these two was at was under one degree. It was near zero degrees for an extremely long amount of time, and that means I felt very intensely these this constrict. Because remember, Saturn has and, and Pluto are the two most difficult stages of the birth process. And I very much felt uh, that that pinch and the uh, feelings of constriction and things like that during that period of time in, a, in an intense way. So it's interesting, as I was putting this together, I had a case study in my own life to test the validity of these ideas. And they very much were valid in my own experience. So let me go a little bit more into this relationship between the individual horoscope and the collective horoscope and how how the two are related to each other. Because my feeling is that part of the reasons I had such a strong experience in this alignment is that, a, you know, a year, a year and a half before that, there was this meeting in the world horoscope between Pluto and Saturn. So the idea is that that meeting unleashed uh, the energy of these two archetypes and that like I was saying, that that energy will be received by the indiv- by different individuals depending upon the positions of those planets in their horoscope. And so I feel like I absorbed that energy in a very strong way when finally those two planets came into a significant alignment. Even though it was a year later, I, I do feel like it, it there was an absorption there that made it particularly strong. So on the subject of the relationship between the individual horoscope and the world horoscope, there's a quote I like from Manley Hall. He writes, The soul exists in a field of energy by which it is perpetually modified and its attributes are continually conditioned. And then in another quote he writes, If the ancients were correct, the solar system has a psychic life of its own. Each of the planets is ensouled, and the various motions and relationships of sidereal bodies involve not only physical but psychic energies. Thus, we might say that the soul exists within a psychic universe and is accept- and is susceptible to the influences existing there. So again, we're basically talking about the world soul or a world horoscope manifesting itself and then it manifests itself through the e- like an ecosystem of individual horoscopes, and the 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 great horoscope is expressing itself through this mass of individuals. Um, so again, this is this concept of one self, many selves. So the dynamics that take place within the world horoscope will impress their influences upon the different components uh, that constitute this world of individual selves, each of which has its own individual horoscope. So the individual horoscope of each person is going to be unique to that person, but will be susceptible to common 
influences and forces in mass uh, that are coming down from the world horoscope. So if there's a conjunction of two planets in the world horoscope, that energy will then express itself within the variety of individual horoscopes around the world. And people will be affected by that conjunction depending on the relative positioning of where those planets are at that moment in time by each individual in their own individual horoscope. And so there's another idea that becomes important, uh, which is the, the idea that with events that take place in the world horoscope, there's a saturation period where its effects will take time to manifest themselves or be sort of absorbed uh, the effects of those energies that were released. It'll take time for that absor- those effects to be absorbed within the collective uh, host of people around the world. So at times we should, see, we, we should expect to see a delayed effect in, in terms of motions in the world horoscope. Uh, but in individual horoscopes, you tend to see a more immediate impact of various astrological dynamics. Uh, so like a, a conjunction, for example, in the individual horoscope, you'll expect it to take a more immediate impact versus a conjunction in the world horoscope will take longer for it to manifest its influence. Um, so before wrapping up this part one on the relationship between psychology and astrology, I want to point out a couple more quotes from Manley Hall that are, again, playing on this theme of the individual and the collective. It has to do with the karma. Um, so he writes, In many respects, the nativity, meaning the horoscope, is a statement of indebtedness, a bill rendered to each of us when we are born. In it are set forth the debts and credits of karma, as these apply directly to the present life. Each individual is born into circumstances consistent with the karmic modifications of his own nature. He is born when the planets are arranged in a pattern consistent with his own karma. The aspects of the planets at the time of birth clearly indicate the available spiritual potential. The entity captured in the nativity must escape from its planetary prison only by transcending its own weaknesses. The idea is that you're born at a moment in time that expresses a horoscope. And that moment in time that you're born and the horoscope that you receive is not chance. It's not arbitrary, but it very much has to do with where you are on a longer time frame of soul evolution. So it'll express karma from past lives. And... That's important to keep in mind. And then there's this idea that this whole overall cycle of reincarnating lives and keeping track of karma and all these things are take place ultimately within the world soul. So in our individual journeys, we're expressing our own piece of this larger soul evolution that takes place within the world soul. So... Overall, you could say the world soul is at a certain stage of its evolution. And that stage of evolution is, is manifested by the attributes of where, of where we are as a civilization. And where we are as a civilization is in turn a function of where we are as individuals. And so all these things actually link together to, to form one great story or one great pattern of life evolving in, within creation. So let's continue with this idea of reincarnation and astrology and the horoscope and karma. 
So Manley Hall writes, the law of cause and effect when applied particularly to human concerns was called karma by the ancients. Karma does not mean fatalism, but rather compensation. Every action which a human being performs must be regarded as a cause, and every cause thus set in motion must have an effect consistent with itself. This is karma. Reincarnation applied to man teaches that each human being has already lived many lives upon this earth, and in future ages will frequently return. The present life of a person is, therefore, not the whole of his existence, but a mere fragment. Causes leading up to the present existence are not always evident in this life, nor are the consequences, which, arising from present action, will manifest in some future life. One of the first things that every philosopher must learn is to pay gladly the debts which he has incurred in nature. All karma, both good and bad, leads finally to enlightenment through experience. And now, tying this to the idea of uh, astrology afflictions in the horoscope strongly impel the individual toward greater thoughtfulness and increasing skill and afflictions can mean that a person's born with a lot of planets in harsh aspects to each other and or with with planets being positioned in signs that are not where they are most strengthened where they can be at a detriment in a sense, we must outgrow each of the planets and the aspects which they form. To outgrow really means to come into harmony with the highest qualities of planetary energy. In a way, this is like an individuation concept that we express the potentials that we have within ourselves, which which are each of these planets represent potentials, you know, that that can ultimately be released within us. But we have to bring those into expression, and that's what he means by to come into harmony with the highest qualities of these archetypes, of these planetary energies. Each planet has its positive and negative aspects as it influences temperament and potentials of character. A lifetime devoted to self-discipline and unselfish dedication to the common good releases the positive aspects of the various planetary bodies. And in another quote, he writes, It must be remembered that no planet actually exercises an evil force is benevolent or malevolent from man's point of view according to the quality of his own actions. If an individual or a nation responds negatively or explores prevailing misery, the planet becomes a karmic agent. It hastens the building up of that which is good and speeds up the breaking down of that which is wrong. And again, the ultimate point of, of undergoing these conflicts is to learn and grow from them so these are ultimately karma is a teaching agent we 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 learn through our own suffering uh from experience until the point where we can actively participate in understanding what these lessons have to teach us and the more that we can come to an understanding of them and work actively with them then we become the alchemist so we learn we, we we learn the laws of nature so we can perform nature's works as a co uh, creator or a a willing participant in these laws but if we don't acknowledge it then nature will force us to learn l- the lessons in a hard way through pain and suffering and through karma so i'm going to wrap up part one now which is going over the fundamental ideas of how depth psychology has come to embrace and rediscover the value of astrology 
And Stan Groff's work is really a scientific sort of proof of the concept of astrology in, in terms of him linking these psychological experiences with the horoscope of people undergoing those experiences and proving that the qualities of experiences that people had during these clinical sessions coincided with the themes that one would expect them to have given the aspects of these outer planets and their horoscope at the moment in time of the, of the, of the sessions. And, uh, and, and these outer planetary positions fit into his framework of this death rebirth experience. And so the different phases of the death rebirth experiences experience are activated depending on the way that the, the, the chemistry of, of how these planets interact together. And so in this next upcoming video, we're going to be doing that, going into a case study of the past couple years, 2020 in particular, but I'm also going to look at a more recent one planetary aspect that is taking place right now. And then I have a, a detailed case study on the Pluto-Saturn conjunction, which is the one that happened in 2020. And this is a very important moment in time to be talking about these things because this is a whole new way to understand and analyze what's happening in the world today that is a, a much deeper alternative and much pa more paradigm-shifting alternative to the mass formation psychosis hypothesis, which is now being discussed in the new media and was popularized by Peter McCullough and Robert um, Robert Malone and Joe Rogan, which was first introduced by someone named Matthias Desmet. So I think that is a step in the right direction, but that theory doesn't t take into account the unconscious and the collective transpersonal nature of human psychology. And so this is a much more paradigm shifting way of analyzing what's happening in the world to this idea that there are archetypal forces in the collective unconscious acting upon mankind as a whole with different people responding to them based on their different positions in life, their different individual uh, states of integration and maturity. And you could say on an astrological level, they're, the, what's going on in their horoscopes will define how they're reacting to the situation. And then these archetypal forces, are, are we can now understand that they're being signaled and indicated by these planetary motions. And so it's, it's going to be fascinating for, I think, people to hear about what the, the planetary situation in these most recent years, what it indicates about the state of the the archetypal state of the collective psyche and what the lessons learned should be. And so, uh, yes, yeah, st stay tuned. Well, that episode will be coming up soon. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Cheers.